0: Let's open our Bibles, Matthew chapter 27. Matthew 27. Jesus was led away to the place called Golgotha, the place of the skull, also in Latin, Calvaria, where we get our word Calvary. And you remember, they offered him a painkiller and he refused it. They crucified him, they nailed him to a cross of wood, they divided up his clothing by casting lots, all his earthly possessions, whatever he had, they, they dished it out. And then the soldiers that were there, that, that were part of that, they sat down and kept watch. They just sat down there and kept watch. And two criminals, now one on either side, were also crucified, and they, along with the passers-by, says they hurled insults at him, they taunted him, they mocked him, But one of those criminals had a change of heart while he still had a chance. And he said those famous words, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus' response was what? Today you will be with me in paradise. I tell you the truth. And that's the thing about Jesus. He always tells us the truth. He said, today you'll be with me in paradise. In Isaiah, uh, it says that Let the wicked forsake his way, the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will freely pardon. And that's exactly what happened right there on that cross when that man turned to Jesus and said those words. He turned to the Lord, and God will have mercy, and God did freely pardon him that day. Today, I want to talk about the death of Jesus in 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, Paul talks about the the simple gospel truth and he says that it's made up of three parts really. He said this, he said, what I received I passed on to you as a first importance, number one importance. He says that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. He died, he was buried and he rose again. We're going to look at those three things in, in this week and the next two weeks The death of Jesus was unlike any other death. We all are familiar with death. We've had people close to us die, friends, family. We've seen people in the world that we didn't know, but we've heard about their death. But the death of Jesus was unlike any other death. And the writer to the Hebrews said this, that he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. He suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. In other words, he would be there in our place and die in our place. Romans chapter 4, Paul says, He was delivered over to death for our sins. He says in Romans chapter 5, he says, When we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him, to God, through the death of His Son. And in both those passages, He goes on to talk about the resurrection as well. But today, we're focusing on the death of of Jesus Christ, that He died for our sins. He tasted death for us, for everyone. We are reconciled to God through His death. How many other people can you say that about? Their death had such an impact on people, on the human race. He had his death had an impact that that covered the complete earth every man woman and child all those who would trust in him now he was crucified at 9 a.m. right <clears throat> and between 9 a.m. and 3 or excuse me between 9 a.m. and 12 noon 3 hours of this suffering and mockery and In humiliation, the abuse and rejection. It was a horrible, horrible time. Three hours of that took place. But now we pick it up here in verse 45. Matthew 27, verse 45. It says, From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. The sixth hour, which would be 12 noon, the the And the ninth hour would be 3 p.m. So between 9 and 12, he was there. He was crucified on the cross. And all these other things were happening. But when it got to be 12 noon, an incredible radical thing happened here. It says that darkness came over all the land. That was this pervading darkness, this darkness that was so thick that you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. I wonder, have any of you ever been in darkness like that? Do you know what darkness like that is? It almost swallows you up. You know, we had that hurricane not long ago, and, and we lost power. And, you know, you don't realize how much just the little things you have on, little clocks and, you know, the VCR and these things, they put light into your house. But when those things are not there, and you get up in the middle of the night, you can't find any. I had to have a flashlight with me to find where I was going, even though I knew the way. Darkness, it says that that this darkness was over all the land. Some, you know, have looked at the uh, languages on this and and wonder, was it just that area of land or was it actually the whole earth? We don't know for sure. It does not say, it doesn't tell us. But we know for a fact that right there, this darkness was so thick. And and how did that happen? Well, the, the only way to describe it was a supernatural act of God. There is no other way to, it wasn't, you know, there are people who look at the Bible and they try to explain everything in some kind of a naturalistic way. Well, there was an eclipse that happened right then and, well, eclipses, first of all, they don't last three hours and secondly, at that time of the year, it was a full moon and and it's not even possible for that to happen the way that they say could have happened. Oh, well, it was a big dust storm, it came. No, this was a supernatural act of God where God I think God put out his hand and blocked the sun. Why do I say that? Because when we look at what is happening here, and, and this has just been, you know, I've been thinking about this, this darkness, what's happening here is really this is a preview of hell. The Bible talks about the outer darkness. And really, and really what, what this is is, is separation from God. You see, when the judgment came down and and Jesus dying upon the cross for our sins, he tasted death for every man, and death being separation. When we die physically, we're separated from our friends, family, and everybody. But eternal death is being eternally separated from God. And the Bible tells us that God is what? Light. Light. And in him is no darkness at all. God is light, and so to be separated from God is to be in complete and utter, total darkness. You say, well, I thought hell had flames, and it was, you know, like uh, you know, the, the, the mockery that takes place where all my friends will be there, and we'll, you know, we're just going to have a party, and it's going to be all bright. No, it's going to be utterly, utterly pervading darkness. Separated darkness. Completely and totally from God. That is the penalty for sin. Why? Because unless our sins are paid for, in Him is no darkness whatsoever, and sin is darkness as well. And so we cannot be in His presence with sin. It's not possible. One man said this, that the darkness meant judgment, the judgment of God Upon our sin, terrible isolation or forsakenness. He said, Hell came to Calvary that day, and the Savior, the Savior, bore its horrors in our stead. You know, uh, I saw something that the world like right now is really getting into the whole horror thing and it's like increasing and now, you know, the Halloween time and it's like this whole increasing of horrors and all this stuff. The world does not have a clue what horror really is. Jesus bore the horror in our stead. Peter talking about those who turn their backs on God in 2 Peter he said that blackest darkness is reserved for them. Blackest darkness is reserved for those who turn their back on God. Someone else said this, that it was during that time that he bore the indescribable curse of our sins and those three hours were compressed, the hell which we deserve, the wrath of God against all our Transgressions, He paid the price, settled the debt, and finished the work. This is a verse we kind of sometimes just skip over quickly, but, but those three hours of complete and utter darkness, that's what, that's, what he, that's what he's going through. That's what he's experiencing in our place. I was thinking about it this morning that... Sometimes we don't necessarily feel spiritual, right? You don't always feel like, you know, praise God, you know, you just, you're in these bodies of flesh or whatever, but there's something that we can know is that, is that because of what Jesus Christ has did, that, that we have the light of God in our lives, there's something, and I, and I heard uh, someone talking on the radio even here, speaking about what we know up here and also what we feel. And we can't always go by what we feel, but we go, the two have to work together by what we know God says in His Word and what He shows us through His Word is that, that He has opened up the light for us. Jesus said, "What I am the light of the world. And we, we need no longer walk in darkness. Hell came to Calvary that day, and the Savior bore its horrors in our stead. That's crazy. Think about it. A darkness, complete separation. We don't like to think about hell. We don't like to talk about it. Some famous preacher says, I'll never, I'm never going to talk about hell. Well, that's, a, you know, then just cut the Bible you know, she shreds and, and leave half of it out, or not half, but a, a good portion of the New Testament because, because Jesus said, I don't want you to go there. And I went there for you. I took its penalty, its price for you so you would not have to go there. Verse 45, of course, leads right into verse 46. And look what, look what happens here in verse 46. He said, about the ninth hour... Again, at the end of this period of utter darkness, it says, About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This cry of desolation, we talked about that last time when we talked about the seven sayings of the cross, the last sayings of the cross. And, and this desolation that he felt, again, out of these, these complete, the, the, the judgment, the, the, the hell, of hell upon him, this darkness that he took upon himself, the agony, the alienation, the the silence of the Father being completely separated at that moment in time. Those terrible, terrible three hours, and this is what he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He took it for you and for me. He tasted death for every man. Verse 47, when some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. They said he's calling Elijah. Now, you wonder, what, 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 what are these people thinking, right? I wonder, you know, there's some different possibilities. They're either just not really listening to what he had to say, what he was saying, and they're just kind of heard part of it. Oh, he's saying Elijah. They're not really paying attention, and, and we have that problem too, right? We're not really always paying attention. Remember, I talked about prayer. We need to show up, we need to look up, and then we need to listen up. And they weren't really listening, and they, maybe they only heard part of what he said. Or maybe it was this, that they didn't know what the Scripture said, because when he, when he said those words, it was an obvious reference to what? Psalm 22, Psalm 22 verse 1 of Psalm 22. And, and those that knew what God's Word said, they would say, wow, what... And, and and Psalm 22, really, we call the Psalm of the Cross. Of course, they didn't. It was before the cross that that they had this Psalm. But some think also as well. Which secondly, the second one is is some of us, we 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 don't know what the Scripture says. So when we hear something and we we don't, it doesn't make any sense to us because we don't know what the Word of God says. But thirdly, the mockery. Some believe he was just mocking. They were just mocking. Just let him, you know, he's calling Elijah. Yeah, kind of like that. And sad to say there are many in this world that are mocking. Many, many, many in this world that are mocking and they make a mockery of Jesus Christ and what he has done. Verse 48, immediately one of them ran and got a sponge and he filled it with Wine, vinegar, and put it on a stick and offered it to Jesus. No painkiller this time. But this is uh, what happened when John gives us a little more detail. He said, When all was, uh, knowing that all was now completed and so the scripture would be fil- fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. And they brought this to him, lifted it to his lips, and when he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. He gave those famous words that we talked about last week. It's finished. And at that point in time, he said, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And he gave up his spirit. Verse 49, the rest said, now leave him alone. All these different viewpoints that are there. Some he's calling Elijah. Some want to help him out. Others say, leave him alone. Let's just see what happens. Let's just wait and see. And, and, and maybe that's kind of an attitude. And, and I know that before I became a believer, it was kind of, let's wait and see. I want to see. I want to know if this is really true or not. And in my in my ignorance, really, I said, God, if you really are who they say you are, well, I want to see and show me. Prove yourself to me. I really, you know, it's kind of, it is pretty ignorant. But the but the thing about it is, is that God answered that prayer and, and, and God proved himself to me, he came to me, he showed himself to me, he, uh, he, he let me know that he loved me, that he wanted to be with me, that, that he accepted me, that he would forgive me of all my sin, that I could be in part of his family. Well, how did you know all that? Well, I didn't know it all at once, not in one second, but, but I, knew that, I knew that from that moment on, I woke up the next day, I knew there's something different in my life, something has changed. And as I began to understand... Little by little, more and more each and every day, each and every week, month, year. I'm, I'm still learning things now that I'm just blown away. This thing about prayer, that you know, just, just speaking to God and, and how He answers the cries of our hearts is just blowing me away. But sometimes we, we have this attitude, wait and see. You know what? The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see. And, and you got to taste. you got to give him a chance in your life. And that's what I did. And and, and he honored my ignorance, uh, so to speak. And, and he, he came into my life. And my life has not been the same since. I said that before. I'll say it again and again. My life has not been the same since. And if, if you could see where I came from, if, go back to that place in Claremont in San Diego and, and my who was here last Thursday night, he, he knows that area. He, there are churches in another part of that uh, area called Claremont in San Diego. He knows what that is all about. But if you could go back and see and, and go back to those days in the early 60s and 70s and know what was going on back then, there's just no way. There's just no way. And, and some of my family members are like, what? who are you? But it's God in my life that made the difference. It wasn't me. I didn't say, huh, I've got life all figured out now. I'm just going to show everybody how cool I am. And, 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 and maybe I'll just, maybe I'll just uh, be a pastor. That's maybe what I'll do. And maybe I'll just start a church somewhere. And maybe I'll, just, I'll, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll teach the Bible. Maybe that's what I'll do. If it, it did not happen that way, let me tell you right now. It did not happen that way. I just surrendered my life to God and God has changed my life from the inside out, little by little, day by day. It didn't happen like I said overnight. But God has been faithful. That We sang that song, God, the faithfulness of God. He has been so faithful day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. He has provided for me. He's provided for my family. He's showed me the way. He's forgiven me. He's washed me. He's cleansed me. He's taken me on a path. He's shown me the way to, to serve. He's helped me to, to be a father, to be a husband. He's helped me to, to, to do the things that he's called me to do. And I could just go on and on and on because he is so faithful. And he will do it for you, too. And I can say that in, in all truthfulness, that he will do for you if you will let him. He will do the same for you. He'll take your life. And he'll turn it around. He'll turn it the right side up. See, we're born in sin, right? We're, we're messed up. We're, we're upside down. We're, we're all messed up. And the world, is. is this is the way we are. But, but he takes our lives and he actually turns us right side up and, 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 and brings purity and, and life and light, and cleansing, and healing. I can't do that for myself. Can you do that for yourself? That's, that's what's called humanism, right? Humanism. We humans can make it all better, right? Think about how far humanism has gotten over the last 20 or 30 years. We are going to, you know, we're going to fix society because we have the power, the humanists. We have the power, the humanist manifesto. We can make things better. Have we made things better? It seems like it's getting worse to me. Things are falling apart more now than they were, you know, five years ago. Trust Him. Taste and see. Verse 50, it says here in in Matthew, it says, When Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, He gave up his spirit. Notice those words, he gave up his spirit. It wasn't taken from him. He gave it. He gave his life, right? He talked about in the Gospel of John, he said, I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. It wasn't taken from him. He said in John 10, another verse there, he says, I know my sheep, I'm the good shepherd, I know my sheep, my sheep know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I lay down my life for the sheep. He laid down his life for you and for me. But but I could go off on, those, on that verse because I love that he says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. We talk about a relationship with God where, where he knows us and we know him. He knows every one of us already because he's Omniscient, He knows all things, but do each one of us know Him? No, unless we're His sheep, unless we have come to this place where we have received what He did for us on the cross, where He laid down His life for the sheep. Greater love is no one than this, that He lay down His life for His friends. At that moment, verse 51, it says, At that moment... At the moment of his death, it says the, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, what curtain is he talking about? Like these curtains? What is he talking about here? The curtain of the temple, and, and you find this in the other gospel as well. The curtain of the temple was torn in two, and he adds here, from top to bottom. There, there's some imagery here. There's a picture here. Uh, it physically happened, but, but the, the picture that it shows us goes back to the Old Testament, the book of Exodus, of course, where Moses was told, listen, you need to make a curtain. Let me read to you. It says, make a curtain from Exodus 26, of blue and purple and scarlet yarn, finely twisted linen with cherubim worked into it by a skilled craftsman. This incredibly beautiful curtain All these incredible, beautiful colors, and then cherubim, like, woven into it. I mean, it was incredible. It was probably the most fantastic uh, wall hanging that you and I would ever see anywhere. But it was the curtain there. And he says you would take this curtain and you would hang it with solid gold hooks on four posts of acacia wood, overlaid with gold, standing on four silver bases. And it said, hang the curtain from these clasps And place the ark of the testimony behind the curtain. He said, the curtain will separate the holy place from the most holy place. In beginning with the tabernacle, and then also with the temple, which was a a more permanent version of the tabernacle, right? There were basically there were there were lots of courts around the temple and the tabernacle, but inside the building itself there were two areas. One called the holy place, and then the inner area called the Most Holy Place, where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. And on top of the Ark of the Covenant, the, you know, the, the cherubim the, the, uh, were there overshadowing, and, and, and it, was, it, was, it said that the, the, the presence of God would meet them right there. But this place, there was this curtain here, and, and the writer of the Hebrews reminds us that, that, that the Holy Priest Excuse me, the high priest could go into that holy, the most holy place, and he could go in how often? Once a, year. once a year only. He could only go in there once a year, and it says, never without blood, which he offered for himself, and the sins the people had committed in ignorance. He could only go in there, he could only go in there once a year, and that's the day that the, uh, the Jewish uh, faith celebrates as Yom Kippur, which just happened a few weeks back, right? Kind of interesting to think about it because there's no temple right now. There's no place for them to go in. They, they, they celebrate Yom Kippur, but they're, they're, there's no way to deal with it. You see, but you and I know that because Jesus already paid the price and that way has been opened. But the way into the most holy place other people call the holy of holies, into the very presence of God, it was opened. That's something I was thinking about as well, that the way has been open for us. It's, it, we're no longer separated from him. The way is open. We can go in at any time. And it says it was torn from top to bottom, which, which symbolizes to me is that God did it from top to bottom. It wasn't man did it. And again, humanism, well, what we can do, we can't get good enough. We can't be good enough to get into God's presence. It's only through Jesus Christ and him opening the way by dying upon that cross for our sins. I, I, th- I just was thinking about this. After what, what Jesus went through, the Father, and, and you know, the, the, in all eternity previous, of course, the fellowship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then this judgment, this darkness, and this separation, and this, this forsakenness of the Son, and what, what He went through In relation to him and his son, I can just imagine how God felt. This is my own imagination. I'm sure it was much bigger and much more when it was all done. As, As he ripped that curtain in two, he ripped the curtain in two, opening the way for you and I. One man said this, the humblest of believers can enter God's presence in prayer and praise at any time. He said, but let us never forget that the privilege was purchased for us at tremendous cost the blood of Jesus. There's a place where we can go freely. I want you to turn with me, Hebrews chapter 4, the book of Hebrews, and, and again, he, the writer to the Hebrews explains so much about the Old Testament and how it all, how it all ties together with what Jesus did. But I like what this man said that, yes, we can go in at any time, but let's never forget the cost that Jesus paid that we might have that privilege. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14 through 16. He says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith We profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way. Yet, just as we are yet, was without sin. In verse 16, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The way is open. He said, approach the throne of grace with confidence. And look at Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19. Hebrews 6, 19. He said, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. And then finally, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. You can see this is kind of woven all throughout what Jesus did. The Messiah, the Savior. 10, verse 19. He said, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, We have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way. Open for us through the curtain that is his body. There's a little imagery there about his his body also being torn to open the way. Through Jesus Christ, we can go to God at any time. Apart from Jesus, we can't even approach him. How are we going to do it? God is light and in him is what? No darkness at all. Apart from Jesus Christ, we, we, have no, we have no hope. We have no chance. Let us approach the throne of grace with confidence. I want you to think about that if you wake up in the middle of the night. That, you know, the way is open for you to enter his presence, to talk to him at any time about anything. I was talking to the kids at, uh, at the uh, West Bay Christian Academy and was talking about prayer. You know, well, what do you talk about? And one said, you know, just about things are going on in my life and, and maybe problems I'm having. And, and you know, it, it's, it's anything and everything. It's, it's not just we go and praise and, and, and thankfulness, but we go and we, we say, God, there's, this is going on in my life. I need you. And he says, well, I'm so glad you came because I, ju- I know just what to do. If we'll listen now, I know just what to do. And, and of course, we kind of go and say, listen, uh, I kind of know just what you should do, God. And he says, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Back to Matthew chapter 27, some signs that took place at his death. And they certainly don't happen at any death, not certainly when you or I die. The last part of verse 51 says, the earth shook and the rocks split. This is radical stuff that happened. And, and uh, how many of you felt that earthquake here in Rhode Island uh, like a month ago or so? This was kind of small, but this was like a radical earthquake. And, and we see uh, the... the the devastation that can come out of it. But at this point in time, it says that the rock split. And verse 52 says that the tombs broke open. And the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs. And after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city. And they appeared to many people. Radical things. This earthquake happened, but it wasn't to, to destroy people. It wasn't to kill people. In fact, what happened was people came to life. Through the death of Jesus. That's different, right? Now, we, you know, we're frightened about an earthquake, you know, and I, live in Cal- I lived in California and, you know, we're always thinking about the big one that's going to come and, and California's going to fall into the ocean, right? And, and, you know, there could be, it's on a lot of faults there and, and there could be a very huge earthquake that could happen and, and utter devastation could happen to California, But this earthquake that came, it says that it is the exact opposite. The rock split, the tombs broke open and people who were dead came to life. People that were dead came to life. This is a a picture of the power of Jesus if if you ever have seen one. Well, what happened to them? We don't know. Did they die again or were they translated taken to heaven? We don't know. What happened? But we do know that what happened here is that Jesus Christ, his death, conquered death. Through his death and resurrection, he conquered death. He beats death. And it certainly is prophetic of our future. A foretaste and a pledge. Someone asked me about this. Well, I'm waiting for you to talk about those verses about those guys that came out. Well, who were they and what happened? We don't know. This is all we know. Matthew's the only one that tells us this. So I could make up a bunch of stuff, but what purpose would that do? We know what it says. It says they came out of the tombs. It says that after Jesus was resurrected, they went into the holy city, Jerusalem. It appeared to many people. We don't know what happened after that, so why speculate? The fact is that Jesus Christ conquers death by his death. Verse 54 when the centurion and those who were with him were who were guarding Jesus they saw the earthquake and all that had happened they were terrified and they exclaimed surely he was the son of God. Surely he was the son of God. That's radical. That's radical. Matthew 24 says that they were sitting and watching. I mentioned that earlier. They were sitting and watching as they were guarding. Mark 15 says at this point in time that the the centurion, at least, stood there in front of Jesus. Something happened. We don't know. And again, we can't speculate, but, but something happened. And he says these words, he, he exclaims, surely he was the Son of God. He was, he'd been sitting there and watching, and now he's standing, he got up, he was completely blown away by all that he saw and heard. And I don't know about you, but, but when Jesus Christ, when you have a true encounter with Jesus Christ, that's what will happen. No longer can you just sit around and watch. Truly he was the Son of God. Luke tells us that when all the people who had gathered to witness this sight, they saw that took place, it says they beat their breasts and they went away. They beat their breasts and went away because it was so radical and and, and they were blown away by, by all that they saw and heard. But it says here that this man and perhaps others said, surely he was the son of God. Surely he was the son of God. The pastor from the Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia who's now gone to be with Jesus said there were five miracles that day. Number one was the darkness. Number two, the tearing of the veil from the top to bottom. Number three, the earthquake that was right at that moment, the timing of it. Number four was the resurrection of these people who who were raised of many holy people. And number five, he says, The cry of the centurion who said of Jesus when he saw these things. Surely he was the son of God. He said that last one was the greatest miracle of all. A heart changed. A heart recognizing who Jesus Christ is. That's miraculous. That's not something you and I can do. That's supernatural. You and I need to surrender. We need to ask. But the power of God in a person's life will change that life. And finally... Verses 55 and 56 says many women were there watching from a distance and they had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of Zebedee's sons. Finally, talk about a women's ministry. I tell you what, this is a women's ministry right here. Mary Magdalene says that from, from her, seven demons Jesus had cast out. Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, they were there at this time, at the death of Jesus, they were there at the burial. And then mentioned the mother of Zebedee's son, Salome. All three of these women were there on Easter morning. Talk about a women's ministry. They're there they're at the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Mary Magdalene was the very first to see Jesus alive, resurrected. And then appeared to others of of these women. Jesus appeared alive first to the women. Say, where are you going with all this? These men are going, what about us? Well, the commentator Hendrickson points out, except for John, none of the other disciples were there. They all forsook him and fled. But these women were there. He says they displayed real courage, number one. Number two, they'd followed Jesus and cared for his needs. They had this love and care. And number three, they were witnesses of his death, burial, and resurrection. We know John was there, but, but none of the others were there that we know of. Faithful women, someone said, who had fearless devotion. Sometimes... Sometimes the women are, are spiritually more in tune than the men. Why is that? I don't know. Maybe it, we should be, have a, a godly jealousy as men. We you know, get our acts together and be men of God and, and fearless, courageous, fearless devotion like the women. And maybe for, for the women here today, you can look at these and say, you know what, That's, I want to be like that. The example of these women, they were were there. They they were there at the cross. They were there at the burial. They were there at the resurrection. They saw him. They were witnesses. They they knew him. The death of Jesus, unlike any other. He laid down his life. The curtain was torn from top to bottom. The miracles that occurred, the women that were there. Paul says in Colossians 1, I'll end with this verse. He says, he has rescued us. from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. We don't have to be in the dark anymore because of Jesus. Amen? Let's pray together, shall we? Jesus, what a Savior.